0: there, I'm Anne-Marie McQueen, editor of Live Healthy, and this is the Live Healthy Podcast. Each week we interview health and wellness leaders and talk about all the things that are good for you, which you can also read about in our online magazine, the only one of its kind for men and women in the UAE. And now, here's this week's guest. Oh, wait, so I'm here with Scott Armstrong of Mental. Scott is a former colleague of mine. We met years ago at the National. We did. We meet again.
1: <laughs>
2: Everything comes full circle.
0: It does, in the UAE. But you've been away and back again. Back again yeah, yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. We're in the Gulf since. We went to Oman and then we came back. We came to, back to Dubai rather than Abu Dhabi where we met.
0: But... Yeah. And then you burst on the scene last year, I feel. You you know, just from a perspective of of being outside and just saying, like, oh my gosh, Scott's doing this thing, you just kind of like burst on talking about men's mental health with watching mental. So, um, I just want to catch people up about how that came about. I've heard you speak, but I wanted to explain. So,
2: I mean, the the job before I was in a journalism role where I was kind of more interested in the human stories, and it was all focused on the business world. Um, But I was more interested in human stories. I didn't want to do clickbait. So we we were talking about diversity, equity, inclusion. We were talking about the future of work. We were talking about mental health. And the more that I kind of like we covered it, the more I really wanted to do it. And the reason why. So the last sort of three, four, four years, I guess, my father died from a mental health um breakdown about four years ago and he was like a super strong he's like the strongest guy i know typical 1970s british dad who never talked about their feelings never had a conversation about his mental health um and then he had a breakdown um had struggled with addiction to alcohol and within three months he was gone and it was a real shock you know f- particularly for me i was like "I'm uh, being away being you know thousands of miles away from him kilometers as we say out here um i just assumed because he was so strong that he would get over this but in fact he had no tools in which to deal with it and uh, it sounds a bit hollywood moment but i remember looking down at him, you know in the open coffin talking to him but actually talking to myself saying we never had a conversation about this we never had a conversation about your mental health i wish you'd opened up I kind of think I was talking to myself going, I wish I'd opened up to myself. So that, that opened a lot of things up for me. Um, and it's, it's funny because I knew he had been struggling with alcohol addiction and I know that's what claimed his life. But I only just found out recently on a, on a family holiday that he'd actually been diagnosed with depression and not told anyone about it as well. Um, and that within my family, there were, again, it was revealed on his family holiday just this year. So many people inside my family who we'd been told had died in car crashes. But it actually had committed suicide in bed sets in the city we would like one cousin me had he, he, we were told he died in a car crash in south africa and he was in the city that i grew up in in the bed set and had committed suicide and again he was a you know super strong black belted karate typical alpha male couldn't deal with it but apparently couldn't deal with the, the you know the emotions he was going through at the time but it was so we've got this kind of like legacy of hidden issues within my family and nobody talked about it and I think that that rang a bell in me and I was determined to start talking more about it um and it kind of just grew from there and the more I saw it and it kind of like it's one of these things that what you once you see it you can't unsee it and then I looked at my kids and I started looking at the statistics around mental health in our children you know the time my boy was 21 at university you know, the pandemic lockdown um really worried about him you look at the statistics around our kids you know, suicide rates back in the uk biggest killer between sort of 15 and 25 suicide same for 40 and 50 years um so there was a kind of parental thing and i look at my daughter and think man i needed better tools growing up my 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 kids definitely need better tools growing up so i want to start talking about it and then this mental was kind of born from that And eventually me and my previous employer parted company won't say it was on the best of terms Uh, but it was you know i guess the whole phrase of things happen for you not to you it was the perfect um, opportunity to do something that i genuinely wanted to do Um, and i'm thinking i hit 50 and it was that point i don't know when i was 16 years old i loved journalism i look at journalism today and look at this really polarizing force that's just focused on clickbait and just views at any cost. I was like, I think I want to do something with a bit more value. You know, I've told my daughter I'm going to live to 150. So the second third of my life, I want to do something of value.
0: I call myself a recovering journalist because (laughs) I didn't see it when I was in, I I always wanted to do it as well. And I I lived and breathed it and I loved telling stories and I believed I was doing telling the truth and finding the truth. And I, I think I was in a lot of cases, but mm-hmm. when, when you get older, you know, it's not a career that people age in. And I kind of see why, no matter where you are. Like, it really does.
2: Yeah, and it's, it, I, it depends on what your values are as well. You live into your values. And again, I was like you, I loved it. I lived and breathed it. To the point where, and I, someone said this to me in the last sort of four years, and it was R- Basin, her name is, and she she does a podcast as well, and she's been working with men about their mental health. She asked me a really direct question, which was like, outside of your job and all of your roles and responsibilities, who are you, Scott? And I was, and it completely floored me. She could have punched me in the face. I was like, I'm not sure I right know, to be honest with you. And my identity so linked to that job role that, and I, I took a little bit of a career. I stepped out of journalism to go into strategic communications, which is not, you know, okay, so it's crossing to the dark side, as we we call it. So it's not that far, far a leap, but I was all at sea. Once I couldn't define myself by my job role, I had no idea who I was. I was in a really difficult space. I mean, ultimately, that kind of ripping up of the self identity was a really healthy. Really good thing to happen to me. And perhaps I wouldn't even have thought of launching my own business had that not happened to me two or three years ago. But at the time, it was a difficult thing
0: to go through. Yeah, I've also parted ways with an employer and had that moment of reckoning. And so I completely understand what you're talking about. And um, two things with journalism. One is there was a point deep into it where I did start to think, I'm talking to people who are doing things. professionally criticizing people who are doing things but i'm not doing something and i took a little break and i wrote a screenplay just on the side and it's so hard and it was it's not good but i i thought i can never criticize another movie i literally won't be able to criticize another movie and then the second thing i was going to say that you can speak to is it's um that a lot of people experiences it can be a toxic workplace it can be incredibly fun really entertaining people but it could be incredibly toxic. I think okay. uh,
2: I personally learned some of the most difficult lessons about toxic workplaces or within that profession. Now, I've had some really good teachers and I have had some people that I've really really admired, but there have been times where, you know, I've had bosses that I've got under my skin and I thought I was resilient, I thought I was experienced, I'd been around the block, but when they watched that it was a physical reaction. My entire body would tighten you know, um, it got to the point where, and I've said this a few times, but it got to the point where on a night time when I was trying to go to sleep, it felt like the you know, the boss was in the corner of the room glowering you know, at me as I was trying to get to sleep. You know, and journalism is this I mean, anyone who works in PR or communications also kind of knows that incoming, because it could come at any point, you know, it's eleven o'clock, is it twelve o'clock, is it two o'clock in the morning? which after a while is also tiring, particularly when you repair it. And um, I don't know whether the, if, you've, if you're if beginning to fall out of love, then you're not that, oh, amazing, another great story at one o'clock in the morning, um, <laughs> which, which happened. But, yeah, the toxicity levels in journalism are huge, huge. Um, and we it, it almost seems like this. I, w- I was having, in my last job, I really in my last job i really tried to focus hard on supporting younger members of the team coming through and i remember having a conversation with one individual who should remain nameless but his attitude to the young kids coming through was well we were miserable they should be miserable too and i've come across that a lot in um in journalism yeah you know and it's like no, yeah but what because being miserable was character building you know um so I think journalism's a bit... We're kind of lost in the whole... We're as polarised internally as we, we are the, the picture we present to the world as well. You know, it's not good for us.
0: Yeah, and it bothers me because that's what people end up reading, is yeah. the information that's born out of that atmosphere. And like you said, the clickbait and the polarisation, we're contributing to the problem, or we were contributing to the problem. And, yeah. so, and it's very difficult inside of that structure to
2: do it any other way I, well i faced uh, oh, so often when i was trying to talk about you know the future of work uh, i was constantly being questioned like why well why are we writing about this or mental health why why is mental health on our homepage? because i as as the then editor-in-chief felt it was important and actually i think being human is gonna win us a different audience perhaps a more engaged audience Maybe not an audience of fifteen million people that click for three seconds, but I wanna have a conversation. I wanna build a you know, a different relationship with the audience. I wanna have a human conversation with them. But that almost every day with a fight about trying to do because and to be fair, I don't even think it's their fault. I think it's just an industry as an industry we've that's the only way we know how to do stuff. Mm-hmm. And we haven't, you know, digital cause by surprise. And now we're in getting into this Era where human beings are really impacted by what they see twenty four seven, and I don't think they know how to wean themselves off of this old fashioned way of doing things. But then you, that's management in general, right, across an, any number of industries.
0: You do learn as you get longer into your career that there's no place that has it all figured out no like no, that absolutely not. i i someone said that to me the other day every place is screwed up and i was like yeah that's true and if you could wrap your because when i was younger i used to think oh if i went to work there it would be so amazing mm-hmm. and, uh, what i'm hearing from even the top places is nope just as confused and just a bunch of humans <laughs>
2: i think journalism is an interesting one um because to 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 rise in journalism you have to be good at a process so to start with you you're a good journalist, you know, you're know, you a good reporter, you can get the story, so you know what makes the story. And then they stick you on the news desk, or, or the features desk, and then you have to get good at the process of putting together a product. But nobody ever teaches you how to manage the emotions of being a leader.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, how to inspire a team below you. All you can rely on sometimes is like, well, I've got this hierarchical position, do as you told I don't know how to inspire you. And then like any artist, you know we're creating stuff, so we are kind of insecure. Any artist who's creating stuff and then putting it out there to be judged by the public, there's a degree of insecurity there. So we are insecure people to start with, and then you push them into a management position, give them no training on how to lead people or lead teams, so they double down on that insecurity. So that's, I think, the foundations of the toxicity in our former profession.
0: Yeah, and it is also difficult when you're work. You're right. We do produce. We are, we were sort of an artist, and when the public can see it, they're um, th- they're hard on you, mm. and that is a very difficult thing. It's a, sort of feel like you don't have skin. So I'm curious. You were talking about the tools, the tools that your father didn't have. What about your own experiences with mental health? You've got this legacy in your family, sort of a fragility there. How how is it played out with you?
2: Um, I think it's been a great recognition of the imposter syndrome that's been there all my life. And at one point, I mean, I think I had like tacitly touched on it with colleagues in the past. And I used to almost think that it was a superpower in some ways, and it can be a superpower in some ways in that you're constantly trying to prove yourself. You're constantly terrified that you're going to be found out. Um, But that's not a healthy way to be. Um, And I would say the last year, last two years, have been the most progress i've made on that imposter syndrome that i ever have um the more you peel the onion the more you find other things and you go
1: oh yeah yeah
2: that's not that's not quite right um so the insecurity is still there i know i'm not there's still lots of things that need work um but at least i'm on a journey at least you know i recognize it's there and sometimes i deal with it and sometimes I think go i'll deal with that in a little bit because i'm busy right now but i am gonna have to deal with that uh so there is stuff in the locker that's still there yet to be dealt with. but i know still it, it's amazing how much your childhood influences how we are whether you know i used to think i was a confident person and actually i'm not i'm sort of a deeply deeply insecure person that is very good at putting on a mask and playing on a uh, you know a face to the world uh whereas behind it confrontation hate it you know um standing up for yourself believing in yourself i've done plenty of stuff in my career that i should be proud of but it's like somebody else has done it
1: because
2: mm. i can't own it because it's like okay so yeah i'm on a journey with that one which is i know is a, a phrase that lots of people use um and the more i do this the more i learn um and the more i discover tools both from a kind of physical perspective as well as a mental perspective. Um, but just the biggest thing is doing this, actually, to be honest with you, Amarim, just talking about it mm. and actually taking it from bottled up within and all that stress that that causes. You know, like being that guy that was seeing his boss in the corner of the room. Like my wife, who's a very strong Lithuanian woman, basically just turned around and said, like, this can't go on. We need, we need to tackle this head on and we and nobody there are so many people here i think who are trapped by the fact that we love the UAE, particularly if you've just been away and seen what life is like back home right now with the cost of living crisis this is one of the best places in the world to live particularly if you've got kids and family you don't want to lose that
1: mm-hmm.
2: so you'll suck up an awful lot of toxicity yeah. in an effort to try and maintain that lifestyle but that's almost killing you you know and we sat down and did the numbers and went you know what if we get sacked tomorrow, or if I lose the job, I won't swear, but, you know, sod it. Um, we'll be fine. We can move forward. We can back out, whatever. But we had to like, put a plan in place to start removing ourselves from that toxic environment.
0: That's really interesting. I feel like part of this sort of concept of toxic masculinity is just, I can't, I can't possibly do that. Like maybe you have to pare back a little bit financially like admitting that maybe you have to make some changes or working with your family to make some changes to live the life that you want mm. can you talk about that a little bit like the male responsibility for the finances
2: yeah well i, I mean it's not just the finances i mean I, it's if you think about the roles and responsibilities like you know if you're a guy that's my age and either in the mid-40s you know and you're in senior management um and too often, it's a guy in a senior management position, not a woman. Um, I think we've been in a much better place if the, the the ratio was flipped on its head, frankly. But you know, you've got a responsibility to the P and L, you've got a responsibility to your team, you've got a responsibility to a boss or a chairman, and then you've got a responsibility to your kids, the school fees, the rent, which is going up, or the mortgage, which is now going up. Responsibility to your wife, and then there's the you know, it depends how close your relationship is with your family. But you're the son, you're the you're the brother. There's so much going on. So it's not just about making the money, it's everything. And like, where in all of that are you? Because all of that tumbles to the ground if you fail. And at the core of it, it was like none of us That Again, if I talk about that situation I was in, I didn't want to fail. I didn't want to let my daughter down. I didn't want her to lose her school place and this wonderful life she's got. I didn't want to let my wife down. nowhere in there was like letting myself down and looking after myself I was so consumed with you know at one point because we lost the job and I had to take my daughter out of school and I genuinely felt like a failure guys, uh, so many guys out there are so wrapped up in I don't want to fail and failing's bad and failing's hard and actually failing teaches but we're just told from minute one don't fail, be strong you know the way we're raised don't cry, don't show emotion. It's not good for us. And eventually, like my dad, my dad was the classic example. So I've seen it. Doesn't matter how hard you are, how strong you are, how physically strong you are, how much money you've got, how much achievement or prestige you've got. My dad was a successful CEO. You built, you know, he'd come from nothing. He'd come from absolute poverty, um, and have built, you know. He got himself into the finest university in uh, in the city he was growing up with, with a scholarship. He dragged himself out of poverty. He built his own business. It became a global concern. He was a CEO. He was on a second marriage. He was very happy with his wife. Um, Two brilliant children by his second wife as well. So everything on the surface should look good, but it didn't. And again, no ability, no tools. Just that I can't fail. I can't even open up to my own son. I was I was his I was his first I am his firstborn son. And we had a good adult relationship. But we couldn't talk to and I at the time before i even realised it, we wouldn't know we just wouldn't go there because it was forbidden territory. You know, it's highly stigmatized. And that's one of the things I want to do with mental. And it's I, I end up talking about men's mental health quite a lot, but actually it's all mental health. You know, it's our kids' mental health. It's workplace mental health. It's men and women's mental health. You know, you do hot flash as well. On, I know about menopause and the the impact of that on on women and male menopause as well, and the impact on men. Because that's the other thing that's going on in the background with men as well, particularly of a certain age. That so after 40, their testosterone levels are, are falling. They're looking in the mirror. They're seeing the, I, I call them boobs, you know, <laughs> The brunch belly's there. They don't, you know, physically they're not quite liking what they're seeing. The testosterone levels are going, so their energy's not there. They're beginning to feel a little bit inconfident. Often that can turn into toxic behavior at work because they're trying to double down on feeling powerful um inside the workplace, even though they know it's wrong. And um, mm-hmm. and they're hiding from themselves. Um so there's some physical stuff that they're dealing with. And that's why, you know, again, that statistic of guys between 40 and 50. It's one, I think he's the second biggest killer of men between 40 and 50.
0: It's a, ter- it's a terribly turbulent time. Um, and, you know, I have men in my life too who are struggling in their 40s and someone said to me, like I said, why is it now reaching a, like, you know, why four years ago were you okay? And, and he said uh, the vault wasn't full. And I thought that was yeah. so interesting because I think a lot of what happens in your 40s is like the stuff you stuck down is like a pot with a lid, and the yeah. lid is just sort of like ready to boil over. You just have contained too many things, yeah. Whether it's from your childhood, whether it's from ways you've let yourself down, or relationships, or whatever. Do you do you see this with?
2: Abs- no, absolutely. I, I was, and it's fascinating as well because we get to this point as well where, when we get to this age, we start losing people in our lives. Like my dad was probably while we had a quite a troubled space of time when I was a teenager. Um, uh, Family breakdown, ended up couch surfing quite a lot, some time on the streets, not much, but enough to be impactful. Um, Both parents rejecting me. Um, I know I've still got to unpack that one, even though my dad did help me out of that situation. Eventually he didn't take me in, which I kind of assumed he would. So there was a conversation we had to work through on that one. me and my mother sorry mother i've said this before we've still got a complicated relationship that we need to at some point have an even deeper conversation about everything but that comes back to haunt but then yeah we flipped to this point and my dad was my best mate, and now all of a sudden one of the few people that i could talk to on a regular basis and just be honest with and not have he's my mate so i've still got to kind of show up and be that i'm okay i could at least talk to my dad about i've lost this job or i'm stressed about that and all of a sudden, that's taken away. And um, we've got guys as well who just end up really, really lonely because I know, you know, motherhood is a tough job. Um, increasingly these days, it's great that dads want to show up, but then also what happens to dads in that position is they then get removed from their, you know, their social scene. Before was often they might be in the 5 side football team, or they might be going out playing golf, or they might be, uh, you know, the Friday night drinks with the lads. Well, all of a sudden, that's removed from them. So they become isolated and become quite lonely. So they kind of like that can be really damaging to them as well. And, and that's, yeah, you both got to lean in together into the, into the kids. But equally, you do need to build in some new time wherever you can. Otherwise, you just lose yourself. I know so many guys who are vice presidents, who are, you know, at the top of their profession. we did a men's retreat the mental not so long ago. And every single one of them was like, I feel like I've lost myself. I don't know who I am anymore because of all the responsibilities. Yeah. And come back to that question, once you remove all of those those roles and responsibilities, who are you? That's a difficult question to ask. But it's a really valuable question to ask. I
0: mean, we grew up with this notion of a midlife crisis and the man like, what, getting a convertible, that's what it was in North America, getting yeah. a convertible and leaving his wife for a younger woman. Basically just walking away from his life. Yeah. Now, it was caricature, but now that I think about it, just hitting a place where they don't have any idea who they are and they just leave and start something new rather than like this idea that men want younger women i think it was much more about what you're talking about
2: i think i no, genuinely i i would agree with you and actually when we look at the statistics the guys that walk away by the car and the you know the younger woman in some respects they're almost and now this is going to probably come out the wrong way the lucky ones because we look, last year, seven hundred thousand people committed suicide. Last year, seventy-seven percent of them were men, um, and we kill ourselves rather than deal with this. My dad killed himself through alcohol. You know, while it might not have been suicide, could not break. You know, could not break himself out of that cycle. Um, and so many guys suffer in silence. He was suffering with depression in silence. Um, it's it's astonishing that we cannot open up, and um, we really do like So many women I know—they at least have that emotional support structure with their friends, where they can be open with their friends and actually talk about how they're feeling and the things that are bothering them. Whereas we don't—we we we put again—we keep the mask firmly on when we really need to take the mask off um, and actually open up and realize that we're not failure and we're not the only ones feeling this way because everyone's feeling this way everyone the statistics are like one in five no sorry it's one in four globally one in three people here in the ue struggling with their mental health um so that's and there was a survey by mckinsey just last year which talked about 66 percent of the people they surveyed it was a massive survey across ue saudi arabia qatar and uh, kuwait 66 people were suffering with their mental health so that's that's the majority that's more than not <laughs> You know, that's two thirds. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and uh, uh, not just to focus on the guys, but the guys find themselves in this place where they're they're very isolated. They don't know how to talk about it, so then they're isolated, and that isolation leads to loneliness. We know actually there's the feeling of loneliness. I, I love my statistics and all that sort of thing, but the U.S. Surgeon General recently came out and talked about loneliness as a public health crisis. It's as bad for us physically as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. So. We, so we're smoking 15 cigarettes a day and our bodies are beginning to go through those changes and rather than buy the car and rather than buy the you know go and have the affair or the younger woman so many guys this day suicide rises every year Seven hundred thousand people actually killed themselves and 70 percent, more than three quarters of them were men
0: i read also that a really high percentage of men are, are in therapy because people always say talk to someone and get help but I think the, a high percentage of people who, who committed suicide, men who committed suicide, were in therapy, or had spoken to someone, which is was really interesting to me.
2: Well, um, therapy's not an easy...
0: It's a, okay. Therapy, okay, therapy is so tough for anyone. Yeah. Like, I've done four years of therapy. It's, it's got awful getting into it, yeah. right? And you don't want to do it, and you cancel, and you want to stop, and you get mad that you're... But I think for men, it's just a lot harder. I don't know. I, I just think you're already not talking to your friends, and, you're, and already you're already not skilled at talking about your feelings.
2: You're already often not talking to yourself.
0: Okay, I mean, interesting. But
2: you know, you're not talking to yourself. You're not checking with yourself. You're not, uh, you know, you you're the last person you want to admit to that you're a failure, even though you are also at the same time your self language is awful. Again, coming back to toxic toxic masculinity, the aggressive language that we sometimes use to the external world. It's 10 times worse in the internal world. You know, the things I call myself and have called myself over the years, I, I wouldn't call even those most toxic of bosses that, you know, I've, I've had fall, fall, falling outs with. So we've got guys really to get better at the language they use, being kind to themselves and actually celebrating their wins and also going easy on themselves when things don't go right. There's nothing. Is ever going to go right all the time you know you might have an extended period where you get lucky and you get the promotion after promotion after promotion but at some point that's going to stop just it can't go on and so yeah guys just can't talk themselves going back to me talking to my dad you know looking at my dad's body and i'm talking to he's gone he's not there i'm actually talking to myself and it's beginning to realize that we need to listen to that voice inside and say what's he saying. Um,
0: I don't think a lot of people even realize that there is a voice there's like the true them I know for me this was like phenomenal right it's like oh that's that's an other I don't know what that is I I, before I knew any of this I used to joke that I wanted to write a book called The Two Yous and then I started learning all about it that you know many of us have this internalized really angry voice but just is that would you say one of the first steps is just like yeah
2: absolutely I mean and I had a really fascinating conversation with a guy called Mark Colburn He was a British Paralympian. And he got to work with a guy called Dr. Professor, sorry, Steve Peters, who wrote a book called The Chimp Paradox. Um, And that and that was all about performance. But Steve, this Professor Steve Peters talks about the chimp inside, which is the the emotional voice in our head that just wants what it wants all the time. And often will make really bad decisions because it just wants to be. And then there's the human computer, the logical side. And it's steve pieces used to talk to mark and say give your chimp a name and mark and he went on to win gold you know at the paralympics broke his own world record in the paralympics while he won gold so the guy knows what he's talking about and he's, his chimp's called dave and he talks to it often yes. he's given it a name he knows what it looks like he's, he has a picture of it and he talks to it often right. and just wants to reassure dave that he's safe, and actually that things are all right. But how many of us even recognise that there's that duality going on? You know, it's Dave, or my version of Dave, that's telling me that I'm a loser, that's telling me that I'm a failure, that's telling me that I can't tell anybody because I'm going to be judged because of stigma in society. It's telling me that I can't open up to my wife about what's going on in me because she's going to think I'm a loser. You know, Dave doesn't always have our best interests at heart, you know, so it's actually recognizing that self-language is, yeah, pretty. You know, and I've been there. I've learned, I've learned this myself. Journalism is one of those professions that will also teach you to doubt yourself, or your managers
1: above you will teach you to doubt yourself. So,
0: what about kids? How open do you think you could be with your kids about the, all of this and the struggle that you have? Because a lot of people don't want to be. Uh,
2: well, again, sorry. When I looked at, you know, when I looked at the statistics around the suicide levels for my my boys, uh, I've got a 16-year-old boy and I've got 21, he's now 22, um, and then I've got a 7-year-old girl who's growing up, <clears throat> my 22-year-old occasionally, he won't admit it, does follow the work I'm doing, he knows why I launched at this business, we've actually sat down and had conversations, and... We still need to go through that process of getting better at having that conversation. But I've tried to be as open and honest with him about what's happened in my life and how it's impacted me. Um, I, I want these, my podcast with the mental space that we do. I want them to be a record of my children to go. Okay, so dad can talk about it, then I can talk about it. And if dad's struggling, you know, and for for my kids, you know, my daughter's got a mug that says "My dad's my hero," and I hope I am. But at the same time. <clears throat> She needs to know that I'm not all right all the time. And my boy, Carolus and my boy athlete need to know that I struggle at times and that's okay. You know, uh, I, I think I, I wrote this the other day to them, which was like uh, like loads of guys out there. <clears throat> I have been occasionally rubbish. I've made plenty of mistakes, but I've also probably more times been brilliant in my own ways, but I, can't own them or haven't owned them until now.
1: You know, and we need
2: to start going, okay, so we just focus on the rubbish bits. We focus on the things that we got wrong. The only person I know who's right all the time is my
1: wife, that's it.
0: (laughs) Do you think that you, there's a lot of discussion now about apologizing to your kids when you mess up. Do you think that you you think that's something that you should do and does that help you as a parent deal with some of your feelings about, because you're not gonna always do it right, right? No,
2: absolutely not. Um, I do apologize. To my kids, and I have apologized. Um, your seven
0: year old as well, yeah, there, like
2: a yeah. story for earlier today, yeah. yeah, yeah. When, I've, when I've snapped, or if I've, if I've thought that they've lost something or done something, um, and then it turns out that he didn't, then yeah, I actually do think it's important to um apologize, um, and yeah, and, I, and I, I, I wouldn't say that I've consciously thought it through, um, but I think it is actually really important for, for them to go, okay, so dad could be wrong. Again, we can we can be wrong, and it's not the end of the world. So yeah, I do not. There's probably as much as I should. Again, anyway. well, you don't
0: want to be apologizing.
2: <sighs> no,
1: but
0: okay. So this retreat that you did, I'm curious because this, um, I guess, problem I see of, of male friendship and how to get closer and have more intimacy in those relationships. When you did the retreat, mm. you did it up in Rock. What what did you come away with there? Do you any tips for men on how to foster
2: this? What was great about that day was that there were such a good group of guys who all came with like an open attitude. So the way we put it on was we 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 had plenty of physical stuff in there. So firing ice, steam baths and so, so saunas and ice baths, which physical is great. And what happens in you know our physical health has a massive impact on our mental health and vice versa um but then we had meditation we did meditation on paddle boards you know and all the guys were lying on the paddle boards we tied them up on the ocean doing vinyasa and doing some meditation which i I think all the guys afterwards like going this is the furthest i've been away from my mobile phone in so long my mobile phone is on shore, and you know that first three minutes of letting go yeah, okay, so, yeah, whoever needs- We'll
0: just come up with all these reasons for me to have it with you, yeah. on it? It's crazy.
2: Um, but then we did this thing called the cacao ceremony, which was basically just a it was a men's circle and go, we said, right, okay, let's talk about one thing that I'm grateful for or one thing you're struggling with. Um, and the thing I took away from it most of all was that, is, you know, there are so many shared experiences where we're all kind of struggling because life's hard right now. I mean, life's hard work right now. Even in an amazing place like the UAE in Dubai, like, there was a study recently that showed that we were the third hardest working country in the world. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what the second one was, but I, I still struggle to believe that Bhutan is actually working harder than we are here. Come
0: oh, on, no, I've to Bhutan. Have you? Uh, I feel like
2: they Apparently they're working harder than we are. Really? But, but
0: they're happy,
2: they're but, very happy. But... <laughs> but we are, you know, we've got an always on culture. And we're one of the hardest working countries in the world. Now, there's lots of brilliant stuff here, um, and particularly security and safety, particularly if you're a parent, and it's fantastic. And I have no desire to go back to the UK. Sorry, UK, but no, not right now. Um, So that's all good, but we're just working really, really hard. We're just flat out. So to struggle is inevitable within that. Um, And it's it's gonna happen at some point, whether you think it's today or tomorrow, you know, I always talk about that one in three thing. Um, and I'll I'll sit in a room and go, one in three. So which of us is it?
1: Yeah. You know,
2: and actually in this room, there's it'd be one in three. It'd be the third person over there that maybe hasn't struggled because both me and you have. Yeah. And I, again, go back to the fact that we're in the majority. Uh, and that men's circle was just really, really good for them all to see. It's not just me. I'm not alone. And I think that was the thing that, almost there was a, like a phrase that kicked off all of this mental mission in my head as well as a right i think i really need to do that and dr salira freely from the lighthouse of uh, lighthouse arabia wrote a column for the previous title that i used to work for who shall remain nameless uh and, and basically she talked about how it's not so easy for people to stand up for bosses here because all the implications are they don't
0: want to stay yeah.
2: yeah and you blow up your life if you stand up and that really spoke to the situation that I'd found myself in a couple of times so I wrote a post on LinkedIn which is like if you're struggling with this you are not alone and then I talked about you know the physical feeling when whatsapp went off and thinking the boss was in the corner of the room I just it was a very open share um and it was the first time I'd really actually even shared anything like that publicly and my inbox just blew up so many managers so many people in executive positions lots of guys in there going i thought it was just me i thought it was just me um, and that's when i I, think, I guess i started thinking right this is important this really is important and it's not just my personal experience and my journey uh, but i hoping like you know, 30 years as a storyteller maybe there's a way that we can use those skills to actually start amplifying that you're not alone
0: it's tough. Uh, one thing I've noticed I've never been married. I've had lots of relationships, but I guess maybe wanting to be in a position to want to get married and <laughs> watching a lot of people get married. i one thing I've marveled at is the um way it's fine to bash men. And you know, like it's sort of it's sort of okay in a way to like make fun of men and roll your eyes at them and um and not in every marriage and not in every place, but we've got that going on. Plus there's, you know things have been hard, there's been some bad men, right? So we have like a couple of years of like the Harvey Weinsteins and Me Too, and it's been a hot seat. And so I'm wondering on those two sides, do those contribute to it? The sort of, you know, it's like, do you know what I'm talking about?
2: I think we're in a, like it's almost like in the business world as well. We're in a period of disruption. Things are changing. You know, society is evolving all the time and some people will feel that it's gone too far in one direction we look at the pattern you know the extreme left is now as as vocal and as possibly as poisonous as the extreme right you know where is the conversation the debate um, as a father of a daughter you know i think we're we're not where we need to be we look at gender equality and gender equity and it the sad fact is it won't be achieved in my daughter's lifetime. And I look at her and go, but she's already smarter and brighter than I am. Why should she have any less of a, you know, opportunity just because of a chromosome and have, for every step forward we make, I, we were, went on a staycation recently, but we took time out to go and watch the women's world cup final um, with my daughter. Cause it's like, what a celebration of just amazing talent. And then the end of it that <laughs> I'm not going to swear, but that, no i'm not exactly. sure so I, I don't know what the right word is it for him but you know we've got the spanish idiot yeah. let's just call him an idiot who then goes and tarnishes the whole thing and just shows
0: Impressive.
2: how far we yes. still need to go um and i, 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 was, I was it Maintains it was fine
0: and maintains,
2: and, maintains. And, and and again is now it, doubles, it actually well and possibly you know doubles down on that what well, So it's a while since Harvey Weinstein, and it's a while since Me Too, but it's a reminder that that's still very, very prevalent there, and we've still got work to do on that. And at the same time, there are guys within that generation of that time frame. I think if you look at my son's generation, you look at the Gen Zs and the Jan that come after them. It's, I'm sure it's still there but the conversations I have with my boy he would feel exactly the same as I do right now about that reaction and wh- how unacceptable that is. Whereas a, again, when we talk about the security the, the insecurity of guys of a certain age that can't open up to their own feeling, they're still struggling and then are being told on social media by polarised social media groups oh but this is just not, this is woke. That's not woke, that's uh, you know yeah, it, was, it was unwanted yeah. whether we say it's assault or not assault it was certainly unwanted and it was unprofessional and it was unwarranted it was not appropriate and the fact is that he can't remain we've just seen the same thing with uh, I despicable the, uh, back in the uk where we've had this big row about a footballer called mason greenwood who uh there was all sorts of videos posted about his treatment of his partner and Manchester United, one of the biggest clubs in the world, tied themselves up in knots about how they could they bring him back because he was charged mm-hmm. with all sorts of and then the charges were withdrawn.
0: As they often are,
2: as, as they often are. That doesn't mean he's been necessarily cleared by the, by the lawyers. But again, this whole idea. And then we've got Twitter and we've got social media or X. Uh, you know, we've got this vocal group of very, very insecure guys who pile on and it's like i think the first step we could do is just turn off all social media that wouldn't be a bad start and and then everyone could start working on themselves rather than worrying about what anybody else thought
0: it's very trying when you're working on social media too because as many of us are as, as part of our job and it's amazing because I I'll get like so drawn into it. And I went to New York this summer, and I was like, look, look at this, look at everyone just out here in the real world. No one's fighting. <laughs> it's just lovely here in the U.S. I I had I had expected to land and have you know things on fire and people yelling at each other in the streets, and it's not gotten to that point yet. It's, it's
2: I do worry about the drip feed effect a bit, although you know because our kids live on it, you know, and it's yeah. it's difficult as a parent just to work like where is the balance right, mm-hmm. but. Again, if you think about we've gone through emotional plateaus to get to the point where we're now consuming all of this information and we went through a point where we were consuming all of this emotion and now I've removed notifications, I've turned notifications off and I've, even, you know, I've taken Facebook off my phone mm-hmm. just so it's not there. There are certain things, you know, LinkedIn and, and Instagram, where we try and use from professional platform to get the message out there. But you know, I need to make a real effort with me As a fifty-year-old, not to overdo it, and also not to be—I mean, the reason why I turned Facebook feed off because everything I saw on it was just so snarky and so nasty. And you're Uh, taking all that in
0: yourself all the time.
2: But these are kids, and they're soaking up. We struggle with it as adults that haven't grown up with this all the time. We, you know, it was email first, and then it was then it was the internet, and then you know, yeah, we've had plateaus where we've. had time to kind of get accustomed to all of this information and then as adults we looked at it and gone this isn't good this is bringing you down but our kids are growing up and they're swimming in this that's the sea they swim in all the time so that's what worries me about our kids It's like and how they haven't got the the emotional tools yet to go that's true that's not true
0: That's it for this week. If you liked the podcast, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'll see you next time on the Live Healthy Podcast.